Hey, how many of you like rules? Look at the hands just shoot up here. Oh, I love rules. Bring on more rules. Most of us want rules, but oftentimes we don't really want to follow them ourselves. We like to modify rules. In fact, I think our culture is really good about that. But they're necessary for all areas of our life. For instance, a stoplight. Imagine a guy getting pulled over by a police officer who, who stopped him from running a red light, causing an accident. And uh, the officer says, sir, did you see the red light? Well, yes, officer, I did see the red light. And why didn't you stop? Well, for me, the lights mean actually something a little different. Green starts with a G, which means go. So anytime I see a G, I go, because that's what it is. Yellow means yell like a wild banshee and get out there as quick as you can. So I gun it and I'm just mm, through the intersection. Red means race through it by ramming your pedal to the metal and go. So that's what red means to me, starts with an R, and that's why I went through the red light. If the officer was a history buff, he would say, well, um, sir, the current traffic system was universalized in 1925, April 27th, and it has remained pretty free of criticism for the last 93 years. So, I tell you what you're going to do is why don't you just hop in the back of the car with me and I'll take you downtown and someone will explain it to you in more detail. Right? I mean, that's what would end up happening in that particular situation. There are rules. It means that a red is to do what? Stop, right? We, we all live within this set of defined rules and uh, what's great about that is it's in... It's there to keep you safe, to give you the freedom to drive all over this wonderful country and around the world in different places. There are, there are different signs that you will see. And so we have that so that all of us can participate in the freedom of knowing where and when to drive in a certain way. Our God has given us some defined parameters so we might experience the freedom to this deeply satisfying life with Him. The reality is that all of us in some or another have looked for ways to change these boundaries to fit our own way of living. And by the way, that's always what gets us into trouble. Today we come to the final chapter of our series, Developing an Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We want to enter into this in a way that says, okay, now that we've been through this, John, what's this, what's this kind of final stage we, we need to take? We've talked about um, recognizing the problem of an emotionally unhealthy spirituality. We said you need to know yourself, that you can know God, so we spent some time really fleshing that out. What does it mean to really know who you are? We said you have to go back in order to go forward. Most of us have things in our past that have shaped us, and we needed to kind of go back to work through some of that in order to move ahead. We know that all of us deal with grief and loss, and so how does that enlarge us? So how does that actually give us the opportunity to have greater compassion and peace and enter into something that maybe we didn't know. All of us will come to a wall in our life where we don't know if we can get by it, various walls at different times, and how do we journey through that wall? We talked about the importance of rest and renewal and how that energizes us, and then what does it mean to really grow into emotional and spiritual you know, adulthood, the maturing process last week. We, we talked about what does that look like? So today we're going we're gonna to spend um, a little time on this eighth path, pathway, which provides an opportunity to apply all of those things that we have learned. 
And it's basically developing a rule of life that helps you thrive. I, I love that word, thrive. Not to hold you back, but to thrive so you can be fully who you were designed to be. Getting clear about what energizes and drives your life is absolutely imperative if you're gonna live the kind of life that you feel a greater sense of peace and joy and, and all those things that God wants us to understand about compassion and love. Um, and so the difficulty is if we, if we don't do that, then we're just like a bunch of drivers who have no idea um, on the roads what the signs mean, what that's supposed to be, and you're just driving willy-nilly anywhere, um, which would be a horrific, a horrific way to live. Instead, we, we are not a bunch of lemmings who are just following one another over the edge of a cliff. We, we say we, we have a purpose. We know what we're about. One of the first things we do is get clear about our mission, why we're here in this place at this time. Jesus clarifies this uh, focus a number of times in his earthly ministry. We, we talked a little bit about this from one setting, but I want to look at another one. So if you got your Bibles, open them up to Mark chapter uh, 12. And um, verses 20 to 34, otherwise in your bulletin, I've also had it listed there. And you'll recognize this passage from last week. It says this, one of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. They were debating a number of things about what does it mean to be spiritual. And, and um, he realized that Jesus had answered well about all these questions about what life looks like. So he asked, hey, of all the commandments... Which is the most important? Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is equally important. Interesting, isn't it? equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The teacher of the religious law, one who knew it very well from probably childhood, said, Teacher, you have spoken the truth by saying there is only one God and no other. And I know it is important to love him with all my heart and all my understanding and all my strength and to love my neighbor as myself. This is more important than to offer all the burnt offerings and sacrifices required in the law. Realizing how much the man understood, Jesus said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. He caught something. He, he knew that there was something inherently powerful about having this universal focus, this most important, this thing that drove his life. Last week, we read about another occasion where Jesus asked a religious leader, what was the most important commandment? That time he kind of flipped around. He then went on to demonstrate that this was lived out through the story of the Good Samaritan by how you encounter people, how you walk alongside, what that looks like. Also showed what Jesus became all about. Hey, when is the, when is the last time you were asked. Someone came up to you and said, hey, can I, can I ask you a question? Um, what is the very top, most important priority, the highest commandment that guides your everyday life? Has anybody ever come up to you and asked that question? 
in any kind of form, good, you, you've had people. There are times when I said, hey, what is it that really directs you? Like, what's the most important thing to you? What really is the top thing that you would say that everything that encounters you encounter, everything about you is really kind of narrowed down to this central theme? If you haven't, then I want to ask the question, what is the very top priority, the most important thing for you that guides your everyday life? This word commandment is given like an order, a requirement. It's a rule, much like the rules that we have when we're driving. They're specific, saying this is the best way to live. And so it's the idea that it's a call to a specific life-changing action that makes all the difference here and now, and it continues on for all time. Jesus was basically reminding us, what is the most important rule of life that you live by. What is it? Are you so aware of it that it just pervades everything you do? Whatever else you do in life, this, you would say, is the most important priority. And what does he name it is? He said, it's loving God. Loving God is the highest one. Well, how do you do that? He says it's with all your heart, Cordaeus in the Greek, it's the center of being where the essence of life flows. It means this is the very passion. You can't help but do this. It just, it just pours out of you. I love God. It's a, it's a passionate thing. You have to ask yourself, is that passion there? With all of your soul, sukis, the, the priority of your existence. It means that this means that this just this is part of it in my life that kind of just pervades all the little things that I do. It's the priority, the reason for my living. It just kind of comes out in ways that I, 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 I want to help it to come out. With all of your strength, Iscuous, with all the power you can have, with all the power that God ignites us with, with this Holy Spirit that you've been given in this life, that's the strength side of it. And then with all of your mind, with the whole purpose of your living. It means that you're able to think this through and to say, I'm pretty clear. I know in my mind why I'm doing what I'm doing. It's clear to me. It's focused to me. I've got it. It's in every area of who I am. It just pervades that. It is an amazing, remarkable thing that happens when a person lives in that. Your passions, priorities, power, your purpose are directed towards one focus, and that is loving the Lord God who created all. It's just there. All this is well known by, by the way, those in the, in the culture that Jesus is at. They, they grew up with that. It was the first and most important statement that all and every Jewish child would hear. Commit to memory. Seek to live out all their days. You'd even see people with placards, little black boxes on their head saying, I, you know, put this on the top of my head because it's a reminder of what are the most important things. And I wear it out in public. Now, that's not what God's asked us to do, but it's the idea that it's so much a part of me. It's right there. It was the top rule of life. And it's our connection with God that gives us the heart and soul and strength to actually see this take place. Jesus' compassion constantly overflowed in the lives of others. It's the reason why he came. Like in John 10, I have come that you might have life. The fullness of life, by the way. All things. And that you would have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
He's basically saying, I have come in a way, and I'm giving myself to you in the fullness of all that I am, so that you might be able to experience all I designed you to be. It's a beautiful thing. It's an unbelievable loving relationship that we can enter into. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for their friends. This is quintessentially the whole of the gospel. The whole of Jesus coming to us and saying, do you grasp that in such a way that it pervades all of your thinking? Our New Day Church family has a specific mission. Our mission is that we are a community of real people from all walks of life, ignited, love that, in our commitment to reach others with the message and love of Jesus. It's so much a part of us, it just flows out. We want people to know there is a God who loves them, who did everything possible to restore them. And so Jesus comes and he, he, he changed us. So in that way, we want others to know this, this, uh, this wonderful joy. I was talking to a friend and uh, he said, so tell me a little bit more why you know, as we talk about this, why, why Jesus is so important to him? And there's all kinds of other things you are talking about. Why is that so important to you? And I, and I sat down and I, I talked about it. And he's a good friend. And I, and I said, you know what? Um, I have the great honor in this life of telling people about why I love God and what that has done to change my life. And then through that, I get to develop eternal friendships, which means they're not only here, they're going to be in the future. So, to my friend, I said, with you, this is just a blink of an eye, you know. That's how short our lives are. But we are establishing an eternal relationship, one that's going to last forever. This is awesome. Why would I not be excited about that? It's a powerful thing when this gets a hold of us, when we can live in that. A couple of years ago... I took us through how do you write your own personal mission statement. Here's my mission statement that I've had for a number of years now, and that's my mission is to pursue, to encourage and model a love, loving, life-giving relationship with God and with the people around me. That, that, that is something that just pervades. I don't have to stop in the morning and go, now what is it? No, I know that. I know I'm pursuing. I know that I'm encouraging others of why that's such an important piece. And I, want, and I want to model it. I want it just to be part of my life. I want people to know this God who loves me and that I love back. Now, the rule of life is how I actually practically live that out. And it's how you live out your mission. How many of you have had the privilege of actually getting out of your car and filling up with gas? Who's had that? Go ahead and raise your hand. Yeah, most of you have. Anybody not ever filled up their car ever? You've never been out, never pulled one, and never filled up your car. I'm just wondering if anybody's ever not done that. Okay, so everyone here has done that. You've gotten out of your car, and you've filled it up. You've had to do that. I was actually in an era, believe it or not, the very uh, just for a few years where you would pull up, and someone else would fill up your tank. It was awesome. Snowing out, you put a wet one up. Yep, fill her up. This is great. You don't find, in fact, I don't even know of a place that actually will do that for you on a regular basis. Um, if you pulled up to... You know, one of the quick trips and you beeped your horn, hey, fill up my tank. They would look at you and go, get out of here, just go away. Um, but if you've done that, you know the importance of doing that. If you actually have a car that can work 
Um, my first car was a 1964 Chevy, and uh, the gas gauge wouldn't work too well. Sometimes I'd hit it, boom, and ah, I don't know what kind of gas I got. So I would have to keep track how much gas is in the tank. I'd have to know when I filled it, how many miles I went, and when it needed to get filled again. It's a very practical thing. I wish I would have done it better back then. I can remember four times that I ran out of gas. And here's the thing. What happens if you run out of gas? Your, your car doesn't run. You could do everything possible. Come on, come on. You could will it all you want. Come on. You could be sitting there for weeks on end. Oh, what's the matter with the car? You know, and someone would come along and say, what happened? I don't know, it just died. I have no gas in the tank. I don't know why it's not running. Well, sir, you have no gas in the tank. The gas is essential for your car to run. Here's what we've forgotten. For us to live effectively, God has to be such a part of our life that we are filled with him that we, we can't operate. We can't operate unless God is central in our life. He's so much a part of us that it just he takes us places where we couldn't go on our own. It's important that we get that down. I know in 2011, I ran out of gas, uh, or was running out of gas. We were two years into planting this church, and, uh, and I was tired. I was just like, man, how come I'm so tired? What's the deal? I thought I was born with an endless amount of energy that I could just keep tapping into that and go, go, go. I assumed I would always have enough energy to do what I wanted to do and needed to do. I was wrong. So I got away on a retreat, and I began to really just think about what was going on in my life, began to write some things out. I happened to have, um, very fortunately, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality um, book with me that we've been going through, and I read through this and was working through it, and I came to that point where it talked about Sabbath and rest and renewal, and I realized there was a whole bunch of things in my life that were out of sort. I was just kind of living my life the best I knew how, but without putting any specific structure to it that said, you know what, John, there are some key things in your life that are necessary for you to function well. And running on a narrow margin, not knowing how much is in your tank, is not a good way to do life. So at that time, I began to take a Sabbath for the first time in my life. The rhythms and patterns I began to set up have given me more energy and more ability today to do those things that I know are most effective and most fulfilling, which I love, and which God loves. So today I want to go through developing a rule of life that truly will give you clarity on the kind of life Jesus came to give us. So, by the way, if you're saying, yeah, I really don't have a rule of life, um, don't really have anything going on like that, I just haven't even thought of it. Every one of you have a rule of life, whether you're thinking about it or not. You run your life by a set of rules, spoken or unspoken, that are directing you. Every one of us does. So, in that sense, the principles that you are operating are maybe reflexive, instinctive, or they may be intentional, but they're there. The advantage of spelling out one's rule is that it gives you clarity of the what and why of why you're doing something. It becomes a place where you can be encouraged, you'll be challenged, inspired to live your life more fully and intentionally. Here's what I thought was interesting. Um, for those of your teachers, you'll appreciate this. Parents, you'll also appreciate this. Um, they discovered in 2003, they did this 
thing. They went around and, and this whole thing of really helping to establish schools to be more effective in working with kids because the classrooms were becoming disruptive and all kinds of things happening. So in 2003, they came down and said, what would happen if the teacher got really clear about what the rules of the classroom were? I mean, just really pinpoint. They knew it. They worked actually with the class to help decide. They would, they would evaluate. And the class itself would say, these are the rules we're going to live by. So the teachers who worked with the classes to determine these and followed them and then recited them with the class together at least once per week had a markedly different, different environment. In fact, you could walk into one classroom and go, what's going on here? And all of a sudden walk into one of these classrooms and go, there is something different about this classroom. The kids treated each other differently. They treated their teachers differently. In fact, the families even said, I don't know what you're doing at school, but man, something's going on at home. Something's taking place, and what's happening here? It helped kids learn better, feel better about themselves, all because they did one thing. They created the kind of rules about the environment they wanted to live in. And so I thought that was fantastic. And so this is one teacher who had some of the greatest success when she sat down, and she did it by hand because she found when she did it by hand, the kids got to watch her make this. And then so she put this up and she did it. And actually, the kids all did their own little poster like this that they would have on their desk. It was awesome. And so, you know, listening bodies, I will listen and follow directions, raised hands, quiet mouths, I will you, you use a soft voice in the classroom. I will walk in the school, say, place, helping hands. I'll use my hands for helping and not hurting. And so the teacher, all the way through, was saying, this was great because I'd say, oh, what about our hands? Oh, yeah, I helping hands. That's right. We need help. Not hurt. I was going to hit Billy, but I decided not to because I remember the rules. I mean, there was just this marked difference because everyone was clear about what the expectations were. And so they started to say, this is what we need to do. And the fascinating part is there were many teachers who say, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> That's crazy. And so the teachers who adopted this came back and said, I didn't think it would work. But almost every teacher, except in a couple of, a couple of occasions, said this changed their whole classroom setting. It changed everything. There's something about us getting really intentional about what's most important in our life that creates an avenue for us to live in a certain way that all of a sudden you have a sense of peace, clarity. You're able to pinpoint the focus of why you do what you do. And then if there's some things you're looking at, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Well, here's my filter. How does it fit within my rule of life? How does that actually take place? What does it mean for me to be within there? By the way, Carson mentioned Parents Lab coming up, discovering boundaries that help kids thrive. I totally want you to come part of it. It is an exciting part of, of what you can do in your own home. So hopefully you'll come on this coming Saturday. So, so if this is so good, how do actually you develop a, a rule of life? How do you do that? How do you, how do you get into a place where you say, okay, how do, I, how do I get this down, John? What does it look like? Well, a couple of things. There's four areas um, that uh, Scazzaro has pointed out broad areas of prayer, work, activities, rest, and relationships. And then he had 12 specific ideas incorporated inside these. So here's what I would recommend doing. And by the way, in your insert, if you got that, it's right in there. So anything I'm saying from this point on, you're going to go, 
oh, John, where do I write that down? Well, just take a look at your insert. I'll put that out there for you. So write down everything you currently do or hope to be able to do. Just write it out. That nurtures your spirit and fills you with the life. People, places, activities, anything that you're about that you're saying, you know what, this is really important to me. And so go ahead and just start writing those down. Don't, don't worry about it being, you know, and I can, And by the way, developing a rule of life, I don't expect you to come next week and say, John, I got it perfectly down. I got everything right. Boom. It takes a little longer than just a week. So I'm, I'm asking that you spend the next few weeks really working through this. The more time you put into it, the better it is. It's a great thing to kind of begin to write these things out and then get away and then really make a decision. Really say, are these things I'm really going to commit myself to? And here's the interesting part. A lot of things you're already doing, you kind of go, oh yeah, that is my rule. I'm doing this on a consistent basis. This is obviously one of my rules. Um, secondly, write down the activities you need to avoid, limit or eliminate that pull you away from remaining anchored in Christ. What are those activities that are going to pull you away that aren't going to be a really healthy um, environment for you? <clears throat> Talking with a gentleman this last week, he said, I'm really having a hard time um, with, with my alcohol consumption. He said, I'm, I'm trying really hard. I know that I got a problem and I'm just, I'm having an So, well, tell me about when that usually happens. He said, it usually happens when I, and I got permission to share this, by the way. And he says, it usually happens when I'm going to the bar to play darts with my friends um, and we're hanging out. Okay, all right. So, have you let your friends know that you don't think that drinking's good for you and that you want to play darts, but you don't want to do that? No, I'm too afraid of what they might think. And so it's kind of like, well, is this activity pulling you down or is it helping you up? Yeah, it's, it's pulling me down. So what will you do to change that? This is the hard part. What are those things you're going to need to do that hinder you um, that's going to make it difficult? Thirdly is what challenging have-tos in the season of life are impacting your rhythms. By the way, you might have a great thing and it's flowing along greatly, but all of a sudden something happens. Someone gets sick. There's a crisis. There's a tragedy. There's a big issue you've got to deal with. Well, now all of your energy gets focused into this. I understand that. It means that now that is going to be your priority for a while. Maybe it's a, a special needs child. Maybe it's caring for aging parents. Maybe it's a season at work. Maybe it's, maybe it's dealing with children. i got to tell you, I remember season of life with young children in your house. That's a lot of work. I mean, you are constantly focused. And so hopefully on your rule of life, it's probably a big one. Spending time with kids. Um, it takes a lot of energy and effort. And I, I'm amazed at parents who put that kind of energy in. It's, it's worth the effort. And then what are the areas of your life you are sensing by God's spirit and wise counsel that you need to focus more on? What are those things that I need to do? Um, what are those things that I, I need to, to take a hold of? I told you that I'm doing a race in a couple weeks. And um, excited about being able to do that, but I've had to train for that. So I need to have a goal in front of me in order to actually exercise consistently. I don't know what it works for you, but that really helps me. So as I go out, I'm saying, okay, what's the next thing I'm going to do so that I can make sure I keep my body healthy? Um, what are those areas of your life? Because I, I realized I was just kind of falling into a system of not doing much and... And I need to change that. What about for you? What are those things in your life you're saying, you know, 
I pinpointed some key areas that I want to change. So here are a couple things. You got prayer, you know, what are the spiritual disciplines that anchor your life? You got work and activity, what are those gifts, passions, burdens that God wants you to express for the blessing of others? Rest, what are the practices of self-care you need in the season of life to support you on this journey? You, as American citizens, are the worst at self-care, by the way, according to um, one of the national statistics, says, wow, we as Americans are getting worse at self-care than ever before. Um, so if this is an area to be really honest about, relationships, what core relationships do you need in the season of life to support you on your journey? It may be lifelong friends that you nurture. It may be just um, a seasonal friend that during this time I need to journey with these people. Here's a couple examples of some people I thought I would show you who have written out the rule of life in ways that work for them. So he, here's Pete, um, the one who wrote the book. I know you really can't see it, but he divided it into relationships, work, prayer, and rest. And so he has a number of things about being attentive to his wife, um, staying in good communication with his family, vacations, you know, work. He had a number of things on there. Um, prayer was weekly Sabbath, rest, exercise. Um, well-planned vacations, getting away, and then he was also doing some limitations. So this was his. He, he narrowed it down and says, for this time, this is 2012, this is what I need to do. Now in 2018, he's changed some of that. And so he said, I need to go through and modify, um, which is what you do with the rule of life. You sit down and say, where am I at right now? It's a document you always keep before you because it's a working part of your life. It gives you clarity. So this is one idea. This works for for him. Um, here is Paul Clarks, who likes more of a spreadsheet kind of a thing. So those of you who are the organized ones, well, I like that one. Um, I know you can't see it very well, but he's got his daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, seasonally, and annually. And then across the top, spiritual, relational, physical, financial, and missional. And then he goes on to say, here are the things um, that I'm going to do. He's, he's actually got his um, roles to prioritize the most life-giving relationships I have, beginning with Jesus and proceeding to my family and grandchildren. So, so he's gotten clear where I'm going to put my energy. Here's another one, creative. Um, this person likes I am the vine, you are the branches. So this is the document they worked up. And so they said, this helps me to know what I'm going to do monthly, often, daily, weekly, seasonally. Annually and says, I, I just pinpointed mine because for me to look at this, that's all I need. I need just short, little statements in which I live my life. Because the if I look at something too big, it totally overwhelms me. So this person said I need to narrow it down. Um, next person's more of an artist um, kind of a person. And this person said I need to have a well-ordered life. And so he just put down there, this is what I use. I have it in my book. And I look at it. It kind of gives me direction. In, in, in the general way. Uh, I need to love my God, my wife, my neighbor, hate my sin, my vice is my adversary. Uh, begins the day with thanks. He's got the top thing. I want to be a man of the word and a man of prayer. So, so you can do this in whatever fashion you want. It has to work for you. Did you hear what I said? It has to work for you. You can't use what I have. I'm not going to use... You have to say, what is this, what is this going to mean for me that's something that I will really follow? What does it look like for me? 
And so when you're doing this, and I really want to encourage you to implement this, this is so key. I gave you my rule of life, a set of principles which I live out, what's most important to me. And here's how I keep that in check. Here's the questions that I, I tend to ask myself. And here's the things that I look at to see really what is the real rules of my life. So I'm looking at how I spend my money. Hey, do I want to see how, what my priorities are? Let me take a look at my checkbook. Let me look at my receipts. What's most important? Where am I putting my money? How I expend my time and energy? What I treasure most and would protect at all costs? What are the things that really energize me and restore me? I can go down and write those things. Yeah, this is good. I like doing it. This is, this is restorative. This is energizing. What gives me satisfaction? What gives me a peace of mind and heart? What helps me grow, which is oftentimes <clears throat> asking the Lord, is there anything in me that isn't quite right? So in part of this, I'm also asking, what's not right within this? So I can really focus on what is good and lovely and pure, anything good before it. What gives me deep relationship with our God, who is greater than myself? That's, those are the things that I encourage you to begin to process through. So my friends, loving God, highest calling in this life. Anything less than that, and guess what? We, we become lost trying to find something to fill the void that only God can. I, I think it's fascinating um, when I went back and looked at a book I read when I was in college um, by John White called The Cost of Commitment. <clears throat> and in there, he said something that really caught me. He said, the way of the cross is a magnificent obsession with the heavenly pearl, besides which everything else in life has no value. Following Christ, says John White, is not cheap. The cost is substantial. There will be suffering and loss, but the benefits, rewards, and joys that come with our commitment to him are well worth the sacrifices that must be made to answer the call to Christ. Please consider the cost, then take up the cross and follow. Follow Jesus in the only life worth living. Richard Niebuhr, one of the uh, America's leading public intellectuals and theologians in the 20th um, century, um, said, change is the essence of life. Be willing to surrender what you are for what you could become. He's willing to surrender what you are to what you become. That's what, that's what God's asking you today. He's saying, are you willing to enter into even a more in-depth relationship with me to see what I can do? Will you love me with everything? That's what he wants more than anything else. Richard um, Reinhold, rather, um, Niebar, is also the one who wrote the Serenity Prayer. And I, I want to close this um, with that this morning, saying this together. This is part of his rule of life. This is part of what he said. This is kind of how I live on. This is a prayer that I, I take with me and that many, especially those in recovery, use as part of their rules for living. It is kind of as part of their prayer pattern. Let's do this as we uh, prepare ourselves to receive the Lord's Supper. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. 
living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking, as he did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. Let me pray over you a minute. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the friends who have gathered here today. You have invited us into a loving relationship with you. You have said that you've done everything possible. You gave yourself, Jesus, for us. You went to the cross so that we would receive the full forgiveness of sins and nothing could stand between us. You broke the power of sin and death. You, you created a pathway so that we could, we could have life and have it to the full. Lord, we want to know what it means to love you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength and all of our mind. And we have confessed that we don't know, but we want to. And so will you bring us along closer to yourself because you promised if we draw close to you, you'll draw close to us. Break through the barriers and the things that held us back and help us to enter into this in a more profound way so we can be overwhelmed by your compassion, by your grace, by your forgiveness, by your ever-present help in times of trouble. So Lord, we your people come with open hands as we get ready to receive what you have given to us. We will not forget the cost you paid. Help us, Lord, to really enter into that as we want to focus on you today.